This is Cinepunk. This episode, The Night the Reindeer Died. There have been many adaptations of Charles Dickens' classic Victorian novel, A Christmas Carol, a story of the redemption of an angry man during the festive season. It's virtually impossible to get through the Yuletide viewing without encountering at least one of them. Director Richard Donner and star Bill Murray joined forces in 1988 for their own modernization of the story, Scrooged. Written by Saturday Night Live stalwart Michael O'Donoghue and Mitch Glazer, with a cast including Karen Allen, Carol Kane and Robert Mitchum. Hello! I'm your host, Robert J.E. Simpson. Remember me? Uh, regular listeners will know that here at Cinepunk, Christmas is the one holiday of the year that we regularly mark with an actual themed episode. And this year, as I'm sure you have worked out by now, we have decided to cover the delights of Scrooged. We're ready to wage a war of words this edition are none other than lovely Ben Simpson. Hello. And back from her extended leave of absence, Dr. Rachel Kelly. Ho, 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 I'm back, bitches so harsh straight in with the meanness oh dear i mean we did miss you last year yeah i missed you guys too um and i especially missed not doing the christmas special you know me they call me the christmas fairy around these parts <laughs> we, we it would have been good to i mean i i, I would have been interested to see, hear your take on home alone because oh, I, home alone. <laughs> I have many thoughts but let's not get sidetracked because i have many thoughts on scrooged as well well if you haven't already rachel we recorded an episode about home alone you can listen back to it it's on our on our website and also available via our podcast on whatever streaming platform you go to and then you can feed back to us via the joys of Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. See, they've got a plug-in for our social media already. Who knew we'd do that? <laughs> um, segue. yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to Scrooge tonight. Uh, there are many, many classic Christmas films. Uh, there are many classic adaptations of Charles Dickens' novel. And um, this is my choice. I, I decided it was my turn as host to pick a Christmas movie. Um, we were familiar with Scrooge beforehand, I take it? I yep. love Scrooge. <laughs> unapologetically love it christmas isn't christmas until i've watched scrooged i've seen it before yeah so i'm i'm familiar with it you're familiar with it yeah you fond of it you don't like it or um see it's been a long time since i've watched it so i remember whenever i first watched it i was quite young and it was a bit a bit on the i don't know scary side mm-hmm it has that yeah. dark darkness to it. So I was um, thinking yeah, that the Scrooge is one of the few adaptations of A Christmas Carol that I would not let my children watch. Yeah. Black Adder's Christmas Carol is another one. <laughs> <laughs> so watching it now again, um, I was like, well, it felt a lot shorter than what I remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was bits that happened in it. Uh, I was like, wait, that happens now? Whoa. Okay. That was a lot sooner in the movie than I. Mm-hmm. I remember, but um, it's it's not right. I just hit the ending, but we'll get to that. We we will get to that. <laughs> I, I have to say, like, I mean, I agree. It's it's definitely um one of the darker adaptations, and I think that's for me is is what I like about it. I mean, you yeah. you know me well enough to know I've got a real dark sense of taste. Anyway, um, I remember we had it on on VHS as kids, uh, so it's one of those one of those few boxes that I vividly remember. Um, I think in a, in a big VHS box, so for people. For young people who may not know, VHS, back in the videotape days, but the big box VHS must be an next rental. And I remember having that, I remember watching it, and I've seen it on TV multiple times since. Um, and every now and then I seem to have to buy another copy of the film. Um, Is there like a 4K upscaled release of it there's not and actually i mean i suppose i'll hit this on now there is a blu-ray that's out which is a it's a, a pretty decent high definition transfer but there was talk of them doing a special edition and it was announced a few years ago and it's never manifested itself the only version that is out the only extra they have on it is a trailer for the film which is really really disappointing because this is a film that deserves a bit of a discussion about a bit of analysis its production history is kind of um yeah kind of checkered hmm. yes <laughs> I think it's probably the best way of putting it. Um, I don't know how much of the production history we actually want to get into tonight on this, because people can read all this stuff online, you know? I mean, that's that's part of what we do, but also I just like talking about the films and, and kind of our, our responses to it. And it's Christmas, you know? Um, so, yeah, so it's a film that I remember remember very fondly, and, and weirdly, the last time I watched this, um, I sacrificed my DVD, because I, I brought it with me on a, on, a, on a Netflix and chill date. And... Um, <laughs> 
yeah, we didn't finish it. So I guess that's a good thing. The Kama Sutra, the Hindu art of love. Read the inscription. No, you read the inscription. I, it says Christmas, and then the rest is... It's Sanskrit. It's Sanskrit. I, I, I didn't need any kind of manual. <laughs> I, I want you to know that. <laughs> but I know. Lovely story. <laughs> I sacrificed the DVD and I've had to purchase it again in order to do this podcast. So, yeah. Hope you're enjoying it. You better have watched it. <laughs> Anonymous person. <laughs> Uh, yes. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it is. It is. It is dark. 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 I mean, this is only a few years after Ghostbusters, and I don't know. Have you done any reading around this, Ben? No. Me read. <laughs> are, are you having a laugh here? I find a YouTube video. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. I haven't. I haven't looked into any like history or or done any research. Okay. So speak. So okay. Well, watch. I mean. So, so after Bill Murray did Ghostbusters, he basically disappeared for a few years. He, he decided that he, he it was found it quite stressful. He wasn't really in, supposedly enjoying the, the sort of the fame aspects of things and the stress. And then this was basically basically his big return. Um, and so the, a lot of the marketing was all about it's, it's Bill Murray and ghosts again. Um, so for a period in the 1980s, that's all Bill Murray did was ghost films. <laughs> Cross is a man of true vanity, whose specialty is inhumanity. He's fired? It's Christmas. Thank you. Call the county. Stop his bonus. Then he saw three new ghosts. Now, what scares him the most? Find the ghost of Christmas present. Is the chance that he's losing his sanity. Oh, I'm having the weirdest day. Bill Murray, Scrooge, rated PG-13. Starts Wednesday, November 23rd at theatres everywhere. Yeah, it sort of feels a bit like what your marketing department does when it doesn't know how to market your film. Because this, you know, apart from featuring Bill Murray and Ghosts, um, there's really not a, a sort of a, a massive line of succession between the two films. Um, and I don't know, I can... I can sort of see why it didn't perform as well as, as people expected it to, because if you don't quite know what direction you're supposed to push this, mm. um, then then how are you getting the, the audience behind it? Uh, yeah, although, I mean, in terms of performance, I mean, it's, it's a, on a budget of 32 million, it made over 100 million. I mean, it, mm. it, it more than did its business. It, it just, did, but it's, it's, it's yeah, the, I, I gather the studio weren't especially <laughs> happy with how long it took to recoup that. No. They spent 32 million on that. Yeah, apparently so. But I mean, whenever you talk about production costs for films and budgets, it often doesn't just include the, the actual writing the film, the cast of the film, and the making of the film. It's also things like marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there will be other ancillary costs. And also, that's, I mean, that you're looking at a kind of global spend as well. This isn't just like entirely on the production entirely for New York, for example, where it's, where it's shot. I mean, this is a, a much bigger thing. It's film. not, though, it's shot in LA. It's set in New York. Yes. A couple of exteriors filmed in, in New York, but mm-hmm. the rest of it filmed in LA. Yeah, but it's, it, but it's a, a, it's a New York it's a New York film in terms yeah. of how it's supposed to look and feel, which also I guess um, Ghostbusters was. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was a, it was also the same year as Beetlejuice came out. Um, so there's a lot of kind of uh, dark, black, ghostly humor. Yeah, what I mean, was going on in 1988? Ben was born. I was born. So <laughs> <Where are> you? <laughs> yeah. That's uh, what happened. He he cast a dark bastard. Yeah, I cast a dark shadow on everything. (laughs) Everything I touch. Well, here, um, Scrooge was released on my 10th birthday. So there you go. Somebody at home is now sitting down with a pen and paper trying to work out how old Rachel is now. Yeah. Two years later, on my 12th birthday, Roald Dahl died. I think you mentioned that before, haven't you? I may have done, yes. I'm still not over it. Rachel, repeat a story as if that never happened. Well, I uh, am very old. I forget things now. Who are oh, come you? on, you're not that old. Yeah, so it's the man who's ten years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a weird thing that's going on. But I mean, you, you're talking about three or four films out of out of obviously everything that's come out at that time, and then Ghostbusters Two is the year after this. So the, yeah. there is this little burst of stuff. Um, but I mean, obviously, when you look at cinema, th- not everybody was doing these ghost films. It's just that there are this series of sort of rather iconic or very distinctive um, ghostly 
Hollywood tales. Yeah, and then Ghost actually Ghost itself is the year is the year after that. Nineteen ninety. Yeah. I've, do you know what I've gonna admit? I've never seen Ghost. Have you not? Do you know what? I was on my way to see Ghost for my twelfth birthday when I discovered on the radio that Roald Dahl had died. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how I know. <laughs> Oh, regular listeners may want to uh, send us messages telling us how they find out their favourite people had died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and hopefully over the last couple of years it's not all been COVID. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, like it's, th- th- this is the Christmas Carol story, which I'm sure we've all seen versions of. Do we Do we have a preference for our favourite version of the story? I, I honestly have to say, for me, it's a toss up between Scrooge and Blackadder's Christmas Carol, which probably tells you a lot about how dark I like my, my Dickens adaptations quite dark but with a bit of humor as well um I, I i don't know i mean a lot of the well the muppets christmas carol is just wonderful mm. um but can yeah you, i mean can you guess what my answer is going to be yeah, <laughs> as ben says they were drinking from a fuzzy story mug. isn't it you know it's okay it's uplifting etc 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 horrible man discovers the true meaning of christmas but it's really bleak and it's it's really depressing so actually anything that injects a bit of humor to it um, and makes it a black comedy i think makes the message that much more and it, it makes it more palatable for a modern audience as well mm. i actually think i mean scrooged for me is is one of those rare adaptations that kind of transcends the source material i think scrooged to me um i almost <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous because you know the clues in the name and they're adapting you know a christmas carol all the way through but i would actually forget that it was an adaptation of a christmas carol because i think it works on its own merit it works on its own steam um and i think it's very rare that you can say that of an adaptation mm-hmm. I, think, I mean primarily for me it's a bill murray vehicle rather than an adaptation of scrooged what I love about it, I, this is what I absolutely love, is that, you know, he's a TV executive adapting A Christmas Carol, and yet he still manages to live in a world where A Christmas Carol doesn't really exist, because the first thing he thinks when he's told he's going to be visited by three ghosts is not, holy shit, that's the same as the film I'm, I'm adapting. He's like, what? No, don't be ridiculous. That's not a thing that ever happens to anybody ever. I mean, you're adapting a Christmas Carol in which a man is visited by three ghosts. How do you not go, well, maybe I'm the unrepentant bastard in this narrative. No, 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 no. He still has to go through the whole thing to discover and, and, and see the Christmas future. But, you know, that's just that's that's a, a, a loving um, uh, sort of nitpick there because I though, love this film. <laughs> though even after he's visited by the three ghosts, it still doesn't click. No, no. He very much has to be like, burnt alive in a coffin before he goes oh i'm a complete shit maybe i better redeem myself holy shit what a break i'm at work oh god it's the sun i never go back to the I, I, I don't think he redeemed himself. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, uh, I, I make a note for that to come back. We'll have to come back to the theme of redemption. Ben, well, uh, you, I was going to ask you, what's your favourite Christmas Carol adaptation? Um, I would have to say the the Muppets. The Muppets. Yeah, I'll, 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 I really like that one. Why? I I don't know. I just like it. Like it, it feels well. I know it's like a bunch of puppets and all, but it feels genuine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the performances in that, um, compared to say Scrooge, um, like you know, uh, what do you call him? What's his name? Well, okay. Uh, what was it, Michael? You're talking about Michael Caine, who plays Scrooge and Michael yes. Carl. Yeah, Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. Like, um, I don't know. He's just a really good actor, mm. I think. Um, and he plays the part really well. You know, he's got that I'm a bastard face um, <laughs> during the whole movie. And then, you know, you can see that sparkle, at, you know, at the end. Mm-hmm. Christmas is a very busy time for us, Mr. Cratchit. People preparing feasts, giving parties, spending the mortgage money on frivolities. One might say that December is the foreclosure season. Harvest time for the moneylenders. 
he plays it completely straight and he's faced with a bunch of puppets bursting into song and he plays it completely straight which i think is brilliant well is, yeah. is, is that the issue then with this is that the, the reason that some people maybe struggle with scrooge is that bill murray does not play it straight at all um you know there, there are moments certainly of it and and some kind of heartfelt moments but every time you know you feel like he's he's feeling something like the guy he he encounters frozen to death in the subway yeah. you know like he's, he's sitting he's chatting to him and for a moment like you you feel that he's actually connected as a human being yeah and then he starts laughing and joking about stairs and everything else and you just feel like he's just come out of that i mean it's almost like a like self-deprecation is used as a way to kind of get over some of our anxieties and and, and everything else is that actually he's using his humor to offset his own discomfort and realization about what he is geez maybe i should have given you the two bucks huh <laughs> um. Moron! You jerk! Why didn't you stand Claire? Why didn't you stay with Claire? She would have taken care of you. You would have eaten. You would have been warm. You might be alive. You'd be a prettier color, I'll tell you that! Okay, is there a way to get out of here, Herman? Yeah. That's an interesting one. I, I think... I don't know. I mean, Bill Murray is in some ways an ideal character for this because I mean certainly you know his, his, his career since has been this kind of he's, he's built up the star persona around him as being this kind of reclusive not terribly terribly approachable um what what you know mm. you know he's not exactly Mr. Warm and Fluffy um and and, and so he gets to play this misanthrope um, uh, while still kind of cracking wise all the way through, which mm. is just, just, I mean, that's why I think of it as a Bill Murray vehicle because he's Bill Murray being Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. um, I, well, even, even saying that, you know, Bill Murray as a character, they actually, you're, you, I mean, it's a slip of the tongue, but actually, you know, we were thinking about Bill Murray as this sort of caricature of himself at this point. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't, you know, you, I suppose it's the star persona thing where, you know, you get, you know exactly what you're going to get when you use certain actors in your film. They are going to behave in a certain way. They're going to perform mm -hmm. in a certain way. And people are coming as much to see them be themselves or their, that type of themselves that they put on screen mm -hmm. as they are actually to, to kind of engage with the story. I mean, I, I certainly Bill Murray is one of those actors that I will go and watch his films just because he's in it because I want to watch him. And I mean, you know, they paid him $6 million to do this film, which, you know, huge amount of money in 1988. Mm. Um, and, you know, you don't pay somebody that kind of money to play Ebenezer Scrooge you pay that kind of money to be Bill Murray in an adaptation of A mm. Christmas Carol um, his, his self-awareness uh, you know I mean I, 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 why not let's hit on this this whole area of redemption because it's a hugely important part of the Scrooge story I mean that's essentially why we watch this because mm -hmm. we we like this idea I think that um you know, the most horrible of human beings can be touched by the magic of gift giving and snow and shit and suddenly become this wonderful human being that we all want to embrace. Um, and I mean, that, that, that's the essence of Christmas Carol of Scrooge. Mm. And, and Frank Cross, Bill Murray's character, is, is sort of sits in a slightly odd place within that. Um, you know, he, he's sort of self-aware about what kind of a shit. I mean, unlike some of the other Scrooges who don't seem to think that they're actually that bad a person, they just think they're very sensible and logical. He's aware that he's a shit. Yeah, doesn't care. It's got him where he wants to be. And I mean, that for me is the only bit of it that doesn't quite ring true is the idea that, um, I mean, being a shit has worked for him. Mm. But also, you know, he has worked bloody hard to get to work this is his life's work this is his life's ambition mm -hmm. now it's not the job that's the problem so i don't really understand why we're being asked to believe that he's going to turn his back on the job because that's not the issue the issue is that he's just being a prick mm. um and he doesn't have to be a prick there is nothing in the his his contract with ibc that specifies must be a colossal prick so he could continue to do the job, but just be nicer to people. So 
that is the bit that doesn't ring true the rest of it i know everybody hates that sing-along at the end i know lots of people it's like it's a massive cop-out to be honest like i just love it i don't even care i just love alfred woodard starts up uh put a little love in your heart and i just go yes i love this i hate it Go on, Ben. I I know you got a lot to say in this, Ben, because you 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 start almost started rapping yesterday about it. I just hate it. I hate that ending. Like, it just feels so ungenuine. Like, this guy has not gone through the crazy psychotic experience that he's just had. Hmm. Um, he's still a shit. Um, like even snog some bird and then as as other the the other bird comes along and snogs him and it's completely fine you know so yeah i just hate it no um i just hate it i hate the ending i i just think like that massive rant that he goes on at the end as well while everyone's Mm -hmm. singing it's like just shut up like (laughs) this this could have ended like five minutes ago Um, i mean well supposedly um he went massively off script with that. Bill Bill had a terrible habit for improvising stuff. Yeah, well, it was terrible improvisation. If, if you ask me. How much? I mean, well, that's when you sit and have to ask the question: How much of that is the fault of Bill Murray for being allowed to improv his way through and defining stuff? Because obviously, he improved his whole way through that film. But, in my opinion, yeah. but, but I mean, yeah, it yeah, was there was a huge problem um, on set a lot of the time. So yeah, he's a lot of that stuff is Bill Murray sort of ad libbing. But the question is, you know, is that the fault of Bill Murray? Is that the fault of, of, of Richard Donner as director? That's probably well, Bill I Murray. I don't think we can put a lot of blame at the foot of, of Richard Donner because of, from what I understand is he was constantly trying to rein Bill Murray back. They had completely different ideas hmm. of where the script was going to go. And they, even the scriptwriter had a different idea. So everybody had a different idea of what movie they were making. Um, Bill Murray, Bill Murrayed, Richard Donner, Richard Donnard. And the scriptwriters just sort of cried quietly in the corner and you know well yeah. i mean this is this is one of the things i think that would interest people if if they ever do manage to bring out a special edition with all the cut stuff because apparently there's a huge amount of material that, that was shot that was never included in the film so there sure. is this suggestion that actually there is a different film out there and whether that's a better film or not um almost doesn't matter mm. it would just be nice to see why it, you know how it is those creative decisions are made because obviously the filmmaking process is a you know is not a simple one at times you know and there are things that maybe worked in the moment but don't work in the whole there's other things that you know if you've got two people at loggerheads you know we've talked before about orson wells in particular um sorry ben we're, we're, i know we're going to be talking about orson uh, wells in, in another uh, podcast we're recording later uh <laughs> but but we, when we have talked about people like that and for people who are listening to the, the show regularly i mean it's good to kind of reference back to the people that we, we've chatted about but something like that who has had a studio then come in. And even though he's shot the film, he's been starring in the film, he's had all that control. Then somebody else comes in and has a completely different vision. So what you end up seeing on the screen isn't anything like what anybody who wanted it intended. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious as to what Scrooge might have looked like. There's a lot of um, things in that movie that it's, it's, I think there probably is like a different cut, like, because... Um, just the way it it flows, it feels really um, disjointed to mm. me. Anyway, um, you know, from the ghost of Christmas past and the taxi and teleporting here, there, and everywhere through through the past, and then then there's the the you know the fairy, um, Carol Kane, that mm. has a bit of an aggressive side, um, <laughs> which is probably the only funniest bit, seeing Bill Murray getting decked. Um, <laughs> actually getting decked as well, apparently. Yeah, by, apparently, yeah. by her. Um, yeah. Like that was probably the funniest bit in the whole movie for me. Um, you know, like even that, that whole bit, and just the teleporting here, there, and everywhere, and then the soppy. Oh, well, I suppose that's the, the taxi driver, the soppy, lovey crap Niagara about his. Falls. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Um, and then the the wee little random bits that they put in in between those those ghosts appearing as well, like I don't know, it, there probably was a lot of stuff that might make the might make it flow a little bit better. Mm. Um, well, in my in, in my opinion, um, 
I mean, I guess that the, uh, I suppose without without any of us actually knowing, I mean, it's all speculation on our part as to how it yeah. may have looked or shaped, yeah. or at what point people made decisions and said this isn't working for us. Um, how much of it's down to script? How much was down to the improvisation? How much was down to the, the the arguments that apparently Richard Donner and Bill Murray had? Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, I mean, I think what we should do is maybe have a little bit of a discussion about the ghosts themselves in a, in a second. But I think one of the, the odd things about this film is that any other time you watch Scrooge, the, the Christmas Carol story, Scrooge is the sort of top of the chain. Yes, there's the Marleys in whatever form the, the Duke of Marley of the story is, is a kind of um, previous employer boss mentor who comes in and kind of has that initial control and like, wise up. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see there's a there's always a relationship there and still kind of fear. But this is the first time that that, that Scrooge actually has a living superior. Mm. Yeah. Well, there was two two superiors. Well, I mean, he's got obviously he's there's got the dead one, and then there's the alive one. Well, he's got he's got the live one. Um, very famous actor Robert Mitchum, who was was quite well known for playing a kind of what a hard kind of figure um, at times. Is uh, is plays Preston, his his boss. Mm-hmm. And it's a, I mean, even that's a weird kind of relationship. So, so Frank Cross is already subservient to an extent. Frank, killer. Yes, Preston. Have you any idea how many cats there are in this country? No, I don't have those. No. Twenty-seven million. Do you know how many dogs? In America, forty-eight million. Wow. We spend $4 billion on pet food alone. Four. Now, I have here a study from Hampstead University which shows us that cats and dogs are beginning to watch television. Now, if these scientists are right, you should start programming right now. Well, in 20 years, they could become steady viewers. Yeah, I mean, it it does give you, and again, it kind of gives him, it, it gives that character a bit of sympathy because, I mean, this is, clearly his job's on the line this he has to deliver Mm. um and he has to the reason he has created this situation where they're doing a live production of a christmas carol on christmas eve is because he is expected to go huge he's expected to draw in the um the audience on an incredibly competitive evening so he is accountable he is it's it's not just him being a bastard for the sake of being a bastard you know obviously he wants to be there this Mm. is his job this is his life he wants to do it and he doesn't have to treat his secretary like crap or his subordinates like crap um he does that because that's who he is and it's served him well i need a full report on a guy named bryce cummings he's an la slime ball Okay, um, you're doing Helmsley Palace at 7 o'clock, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to take my son. You're, no, you're not. You're staying here with me. We're working late. Well, I have to take my son to the doctor. Grace, when I work late, you work late. But I made the appointment two months ago. I care. But, you know, he, he does have a, a very, very good reason why he needs this to happen, and he needs it to be a success. Um, so again, that is the bit that sort of doesn't because he's he's basically sabotaging his entire career mm. with that closing section, and it's not just it's not a it's 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 redemption, but in the wrong direction, almost. Yeah, I mean, where I, where I find it uncomfortable, I think there's the I think that the film is is actually looking at it for twenty twenty one eyes. Mm. Um, it feels to me like a lot of the film is caught up around issues of trauma mm. of, of one form or another. I mean, actually, right from an early age, his father sort of like dismisses Christmas as just a thing. Here's a pile of beal that you're going to give us <laughs> anyway. Like, happy Christmas, you moony little git. So already there's, there's a disconnect between him and a loving relationship. Although there seems to be some kind of connection with his mother. Um, but when you, you look at what, uh, the other stuff that happens to him, I mean, there there, there is this sort of traumatic elements that that keep on getting repeated that that he experiences that that he can't quite can't quite get past i mean the ghosts in this are particularly abusive i think mm-hmm. it's fair to say yeah well Maybe. apart from you know uh death at the end i mean you say that's not abusive but he literally put, ends up with him in a coffin on fire i mean i can't think of anything worse from burning to death <laughs> Here's the other thing as well. 
So the whole the whole um, uh, Scrooge and his girlfriend um, Claire sort of breaking up. Well, I, the, I'm thinking about the the girlfriend figure in the Christmas Carol. Okay, yeah, yeah. Can't remember her name, but um, she obviously she's Claire in, in this iteration. Uh-huh. But them breaking up because he's more interested in his career is part of the mythos and it's part of the whole, you know, that's the story that we all know. And uh, he actually gets her back in this, which is really nice. Mm. But um, the, 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 the incident that causes them to break up, he's not being completely unreasonable. There is absolutely nothing unreasonable about a 20-year-old man who has just been asked to have dinner with the head of the network mm. Wanting to go to dinner with the head of the network. Now, fair enough, it's Christmas Eve, and she is absolutely within her rights to want to keep their Christmas Eve plans. But see, if in all honesty, if it were me, I would be saying, You go, I want to keep the plans here, but you go have mm. a great time. Good luck. And it's it's framed as though he's just being a complete shit for the for wanting to avail of this incredible opportunity that's being put before a kid he's 20 which again you know that 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 longish hair is doing a lot of heavy lifting there yeah the, the moment i realized that bill murray was supposed to be 17 when he meets claire i was just like okay that's not what a 17 year old looks like no oh i, I don't think um yeah, I'm not sure. Any many of my previous partners would have been massively keen on me taking a decision like that, but you know, if you don't have to be incredibly keen on it, but you do have to understand that that it's an enormous opportunity. I mean, I feel that we're missing a chunk in in their story. I mean, as, as Ben says, mm. there is a sort of disconnect at times, and I feel that there's too much of a leap between them Kama suturing and that. But then we are only getting edited highlights of his past experiences. Yeah. We're not seeing everything, and you feel that the, the, yeah. the, there's a fracture. But one of the things that that Ben, you may you probably aren't aware of, is that actually the reason their relationship is played so much in the film is because that's a Bill Murray suggestion. He felt that it wasn't working, and there needed to be more about them. And I don't know how you feel about that, if, if that's a a good thing or not. I probably could have less. took it or leave it, you know, done with less, to be honest. Um, so everyone has relationship issues, like big deal. <laughs> you know, that's my opinion. Um, Never coming back to Ben for advice about anything. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> bro. No, they but probably like, are supremely badly suited the pair of them they're like they're... she's she's uh very you know much about looking after other people mm. to a certain degree um apart from whenever it's christmas eve and it's all about herself um and then uh you know uh frank that's not mm. his name uh like frank's working his ass off pretending to be a you know a dog um well uh you know and then she's like but dinner um but once in a lifetime opportunity you know i completely agree with what rachel's saying there it's like well why not have a adult discussion you know this could lead to somewhere Mm. um which would improve both of our lives exactly but that doesn't happen it's just like well screw you maybe we should be apart then you know Mm. if you're not going to come to christmas dinner which we do every year with our friends yeah it's just so she's not supportive of his career at all and i get that they are they are completely polar opposites which is why i'm like why are you together because he is clearly career-minded and corporate and he is extremely ambitious Mm -hmm. and he wants to climb that ladder and she is not um ambitious she's not corporate she is altruistic and she wants to devote her life to other people fair enough you know great the well, two should not be in a relationship. Hmm. Sorry, that's, Ben. That's part of his upbringing, though. Like you know, with his dad's, like you know, you know, his dad says, you know, go, go get a job if if mm. you want something, um, mm. you got to work for it. Here, Francis, I've got something for you. Merry Christmas. A choo-choo train? No, it's five pounds of veal. But Daddy, I have Santa for Choo Choo. Well, then go out and get a job and buy a Choo Choo. Ah, Earl, he's only four years old. 
All day long, I listen to people give excuses why they can't work. My back hurts, my legs ache. I'm only four. Soon he learns that life isn't given to you on a silver platter, the better. You know, in that, in that flashback, so that's probably, you know, that's been ingrained in his head after years of his dad probably saying that. So maybe that's where the whole career focus for Frank has come in. Um, but also, obviously, a lot of damage. Even the way um, the whole Christmas gift exchange mm. with him and her, you know, you can tell he's a bit of a damaged individual um, in that regard. He's like, he's never had a normal Christmas. Or no, and the gift of knives. I mean, is a very practical, and in many respects, yeah, that's I, I mean, be like, something he like, he would get for his dad, who's a butcher. Yeah, but you've watched those infomercials late at night on TV. I mean, when you watch those, you want to buy those knives. Was it QV something? QVC. Or, yeah. yeah. I, I um, mean, so I, I kind of get that, but um, I think there's also, I mean, that's also domesticity. That, I mean, mm. that, that's a gift that sort of symbolizes the home and them actually being able to share a space. It's not, he may be socially awkward, which I think he is. Um, he, you know, he, he may struggle with relationships. You see him at the Christmas party. Yeah, he no, just he's wants being to do hand- his job and then leaves. Yeah, I mean, being handed photocopies of, of, of a pretty bum and, you know, like, there's a party happening around him. His boss even tells him there's a party, enjoy the party. And yeah. he can't do that because even though his boss is giving him an instruction, he's still caught up with whatever else. I think there's something else that's... He's not interested in Christmas. Uh, but that's probably... That's that's his childhood, though. That's mm-hmm. You know, because that was never... He, but James manages to be all about Christmas. Mm-hmm. That's probably, you know, well, he's the older brother. I mean, uh, Fr- Frank's the older brother, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if part of that is that Frank kind of spends time by himself, and then whenever little brother comes along, little brother will have been the center of attention. Mm. I mean, this, this happens. You both have Every children. Yep, yep. You know, um, I and I happen to be doing this with with one of our one of my own siblings. Um, <laughs> You know, so th- there is that kind of where attention shifts. So actually, he could still be feeling slightly detached and alone. But little brother, at the same time, can be looking up to big brother as somebody that that's company, that's friends, and and it's a very different kind of relationship. We don't see enough of what goes on with him, but yeah. there's very clearly still affection there. I mean, oh, you yeah. see him when he, he's watching the quiz game and he's getting into it, and, and and part of that might just be his competitive streak is being tapped into. But I think uh, he, endless he, knowledge of all the TV shows that he's watched when he was a kid. Yeah, but also I think older sibling, older sibling. I mean, I get, I get. Oh, if that was my either of my younger siblings, I'd be. You have to know this. How can you not know this? <laughs> oh, um. <laughs> Robert would be disappointed in me. We we, we don't do family games anymore. It's no, just no, 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 no. Yeah, we used to, but <laughs> apparently it stopped being fun. But there, but there is clear affection there. It's not like they don't care for each other and i think actually in the end you know his honesty about what goes on with the gifts and stuff i mean he, and actually you see him when he's watching the i think there's a point when he sees himself in the coffin just before you know he realizes it's him there is concern for his little brother yeah yeah i mean that's his first thought as well his first thought is oh god it's my little brother yeah it's not oh god it's me because that's what, t- I mean, obviously at this point, it's the stuff that's actually touched him. It's stuff that he does care about, as, as awkward yeah. as he is. Yeah. Mm. What I, I mean, I don't want to, we're not going to be here all night. Um, but we want to talk about the ghosts and the, the kind of actually the way that they, that thing. So I've put forward the suggestion that actually the ghosts in this are quite um, aggressive and violent. And I'll, I'll go further and say that actually he's bullied in a way into mm. redemption. Which is a very evangelical kind of, I mean, certainly I can think of certain religious groups that would adopt the same kind of approach in terms of like, all right, you must do it. But rather than just kind of, um, you know, kind of being conjoled by memories being kind of guides, there is a very physical bullying that goes on from each of the ghosts. Yeah. Um, it's very 80s. It feels very 80s to me. Um, I, I mean, the 80s seems to have a very different attitude to what actually constitutes bullying and what constitutes acceptable behavior, mm. uh, interpersonal behavior. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, to the, the you know, I mean, Carol Kane's performance is just one of my favorites of all time, but it's 
horrible what she does to him. The, the ball breaker. Unwarranted. <laughs> he doesn't do anything to warrant that level of violence. Yeah. I mean, not that anybody, oh God, no, that I realize what that sounds like. Not that anybody <laughs> ever warrants uh, physical violence against some good grief. No. Sydney Punk quotes, not, take it out of context. <laughs> but it's, it's not even as though he has acted aggressively towards her at any point. Hmm. She's, it's, there's no element of um, making sure that she is physically safe by preemptive strike. It's not, he is, he is quite respectful towards her in, in a lot of ways. But she just attacks him. It's um, yeah. He, he, I mean, he he certainly holds back on it, and he he does seem to be aware. And it, it, I mean, I think whenever I watch that, every time I see it, I kind of go through a, a bunch of emotions. And I think part of it is like it starts off as kind of like a playful kind of like you know like a little bit more of an aggressive kind of sexual play you know and it's it's like there's a bit of a free song here and it's like uh, you know and mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm sure most of us have encountered that either for ourselves or we've seen it around us at some stage but it very quickly escalates to the point where this is uncomfortable and he has said you gotta stop this yeah. and she continues and he never actually defends himself either from memory i think he does once try and stop oh yes he stops his poking his eyes out yeah um but he, he th- but that's also slapstick. I mean, so, I mean, that, that whole routine is a slapstick root, routine. Now, we haven't talked a massive amount about slapstick on, on the podcast to date. We did a little bit, I think, when we were talking about Chaplin. Mm. Yeah. Um, this is but, not I mean, a slapstick film. No, but that is a slapstick sequence. Yes. Yeah, but the slapstick kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I don't laugh my ass off. And it's her delivery of it. It's that very it innocent. It be a Christmas movie without voice. some slapstick, though. Well, it's a wonderful life manages. Well, we I think Home actually we, we we did talk about this about Home Alone last year. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, Home Alone, good grief! So that yeah. kind of violent violent altercation that we laugh off. I mean, I'm not quite sure what our relationship is with it or why that it's going on. But it, it, Ben, I think it's a fair enough comment that it's 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 a it's an element. Oh, oh I'm so relieved it's been so long. <laughs> Hello, Frank. I'm the ghost of Christmas present. I had a funny feeling. Uh, Why (laughs) did you do that? Sometimes you have to slap them in the face just to get their attention. Yeah, um, that that well yeah they are violent well i suppose there's a little bit of that slapstick even with the taxi driver oh yeah you know um yes. he just walks through the door yeah. and you know bill goes to walk, or frank goes to walk through the door and smacks his head off the door because he's not a ghost mm-hmm. he can't he can't do that that stuff um you know and then what else i don't know um obviously but the fairy verbally aggressive to him i mean is oh, yeah, really yeah. verbally aggressive to him yeah. mm-hmm. the ghost of christmas passes yeah yeah oh hugely i mean it's 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 insulting it's goading um was that not just a normal new york cab, <laughs> cab driver <laughs> there's that isn't there? it, it could well be uh yeah. i'm not entirely sure uh it, it was it's it, he's playing like uh you know uh what's the word um playing a, playing a stereotype yeah yeah stereotype you know new york taxi driver you know um love that, that new a, york accent man we're gonna have, i'm gonna put yeah. that out there no don't um <laughs> you know i'm walking here um going the wrong way relax frank enjoy the ride how do you know my name i know absolutely everything frank you see i'm the ghost <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess in a way he is a stereotype of one. The fact that he's in an older cab also puts him out of place and out of time, which sort of means that you accept his behavior and his insults in a way that maybe you wouldn't if it was somebody contemporary. Mm. Although then we have the ghost of Christmas peasant who is very much more physically active. But then is that also a response to... Well, I think um, it's like, because you hear the way she talks. Like a child? Yeah, like like a child, you know that innocent, and then mm. she's like, he thinks, uh, oh, you know, 
I'm not going to go along with you, but then she's like, nah, here you go, miss. <laughs> Well, how, how much of that as well as a response to what's going on in the 80s in terms of, of, of sort of feminism and female rights? Well, the 80s is a, a period of backlash for feminism and, and female rights. Um, I mean, uh, you, you won't hear me often quote from this, but, you know, backlash is released in the 1990s discussing exactly that. Um, you know, the 80s is, is Reaganism, it's corporate, it's greed is good. Um, and it's 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 very much um, pushing back against that sort of second wave of feminism of the the 1970s. So it's the 80s is kind of <laughs> it's it's not a great time for the advancement of female emancipation. <laughs> sure, you can even tell that with you know the way some of the dancers and all are dressed and yeah, the solid gold dancers, yeah, yeah, and the clothes <laughs> that the secretary wears and all that. Yeah. Not, not the um not not the nice one not the nice one but the other one um, um yeah i mean that the, well there is something uh, i mean there, there clearly is something at play here about the crassness of of certain aspects of society there is a seems to be a tension between moving on and being stuck in the past i mean he 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 feels stuck in the past in many respects mm. i mean frank cross is stuck in the past maybe it's all that tv he watched maybe it's the fact that he hasn't progressed beyond the lack of love from a father yeah, he's, um, he's a four-year-old stuck in a man's body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair enough. I mean, down to, you know, I mean, animal rights was certainly well underway in the, in the, in the 80s, and yet he's, he's trying to staple yeah, I think antlers treat, to a mouse. I think they <laughs> treated the, the mouse better than the, than the woman in that film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, probably did. Yeah. And I mean, there is that very uncomfortable sequence um, at the end as well. And that's the thing was Bryce, 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 what's Bryce, Bryce Cummings. Mm. Um, um, that character is an odd one for me because he never actually seems that bad. No, it, I mean, John Glover has one of those sort of faces that extremely likable, yeah. Extremely likable, but very, very long, very pronounced, almost comic book esque, I would say. I mean, he looks like a comic character. If you drew him in a comic, in I, to help, yeah, that's the slime ball, he's, he's called in it, but he's he's not actually that slimy, and he he seems perfectly pleasant. He doesn't seem, you know, obviously we're expected to to go oh threat to Frank, but you know, he's actually comes in feels very reasonable. And it's only at the very end when he laughs and goes ha ha ha, he's finished, that he seems in any way Machiavellian. Mm. But you know his 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 comeuppance is to be sexually assaulted by a woman suffering from a head injury. I mean, what? Films isn't that's, great. That's for, for... that deeply uncomfortable. That bit deeply uncomfortable. Um. Yeah, I have to be honest. I mean, watching it this time around, I was struck by the deterioration of of of, of this is why this is why I hate the ending. Like it just falls apart. I thought I'm not convinced that it falls apart, but it, it's it's like it's it's like those massive kind of screw. It's like, I mean, I'm going to cite John Landis as an example here, which is probably a bad idea for all kinds of reasons. Which Ben, I don't know if you're we had that conversation with you. I can't remember, but it's 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 like everything is just kind of chaos, and it builds up, and you have to have this almighty chaos in order to have a resolution. So it's just you up in the ante, up in the ante, up in the ante. But then it's also fair to say that um, both the, the scriptwriters and Bill Murray have said that. Richard Donner didn't get comedy properly. Yeah. Um, so this is a point where I kind of wonder, is, is this one of the sections where the tension that exists between those two creative parties actually is, is, is made its way onto the screen because he's trying to do something in a particular way that he thinks is what's funny, mm. whereas they're actually trying to do something else. I mean, there, there, there's, there is a good satire about television in here. Mm -hmm. um, there's an interesting... Um, I think discussion probably about mental health in amongst it, you know, and it certainly prompts questions and discussions about it. Mm -hmm. um, but somehow that gets lost because, you know, you, you have people, I mean, Rachel's put it in a way that I never would have thought about putting it, but it's, it's, it's so apt, you know, like she sexually assaults someone after having suffered a head injury. I, I mean, you write that down and you cannot argue that is not what has just gone and happened. Yeah. And that's um, objectively not funny. <laughs> 
No, it's not. Then it's not then... a funny sequence. It's a really uncomfortable sequence mm-hmm. because, I mean, it makes her out to be kind of sexually rapacious and, and slightly pathetic. Um, and there's it's 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 so deeply. I mean, again, reverse the genders. That is absolutely that nobody would ever think that was funny. Although I suppose, I mean, if, if there's a mitigating factor at all in that sequence, it's that um, there's a man with a shotgun. Um, and that's another thing I mean, the bit, there's another bit about that yeah it's this Elliot. i don't mind the singing but a lot of that end bit is is i mean just the bit where where it, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of partying going on up there and bobcat goldthwaite's character just fires the shotgun and says everybody party and there's one there's a woman at the desk and she's in tears she's terrified she's obviously terrified it's christmas eve she thinks she's about to die how oh, this is supposed to be funny. How it's did not... he get in the building? Those yeah, two well, security guards actually, at, the, yeah. <laughs> at the left, they, they are useless. If they let maybe, him in. Maybe they don't like him. Maybe I mean, they're dead. Maybe... Yeah. Well, they don't like him. I mean, that's, that's, that's set up early on that they don't really like Frank Cross. They're, they're, they're trying to... Um, they're being they're being polite and they're doing their job but you know the, the look that they, they exchange when he walks in and he gives them a real smarmy sleazy yeah. look and they're obviously like yeah well absolutely up yours my friend there's, there's so a maybe lot they let him in with a gun it's like yes <laughs> christmas eve massacre in the tv studio great i mean elliot's the one character that i mean again his his plight and his deterioration is used as a gag throughout this i mean he's he's a guy who literally ends up with nothing but he can't even have nothing Mm. at every point it's like you know you know he he goes out he decides to take up drinking and then his drink every time i mean i'm not convinced he becomes an alcoholic because he can't seem to get a a mouthful of of, Mm -hmm. of whatever it is he wants to consume anyway Mm -hmm. you know bottles are falling out they're being splashed they're being smashed you know he, he can't seem to get a break and but we are left to laugh at those moments. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's Schadenfreude, it's laughing at someone else's misfortune, and and I didn't laugh though. I didn't laugh at those bits. Oh God, I guys, think you're I making did. me critically evaluate this film that I, I love. I don't even. Going, oh. I I don't even think I laughed. Um, back in the bits. day, no. Um, I, I think I probably did. To be fair, and I think we're meant to laugh, Adam. We are, yeah. But again, I wonder if that's what what the guys mean by Richard Donner doesn't get comedy because that's mean. It's mean-spirited. It's, it's punching punch, punch down. down. Yeah. I mean, it, the, whole, it, the whole movie's punching down now. She'll understand. She's an amazingly understanding woman. I'll just come home and I'll say, hi, honey. Um, we have to move to a studio apartment. I hope you don't mind. I mean, where, where you, where that punching down sort of becomes acceptable is in the, is, is in, isn't the fact that there's some form of redemption, but I, I mean, even then, I'm not convinced because I think that the the, the redemption that El, you know that he the, the way that he tries to make amends with Elliot just seems too extreme. Yeah. I mean, what I'm seeing is somebody actually who's having a mental breakdown and has gone from sort of like in complete panic to complete overload. And yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't come away from the end of this film thinking everything is going to Scrooge has, got, has now stabilized and everything's going to be happy ever after yeah. Elliot Loudermilk is going to prison on Christmas yeah, Day somebody, somebody's <laughs> getting arrested yeah that's he's, not going he's to being arrested and he's going to prison he's not getting hired back at double his salary he's going to prison for quite a long time and and uh him getting his job back or whatever is not going to fix his uh marriage and, and no yeah. because i mean his wife was prepared to walk out on him because he lost his his job and that's yeah. not a healthy marriage to begin with no um, also, Frank Cross gave him his job back, and Frank Cross is definitely about to be so very fired he's not going to be able to get a job in the mailroom. Yeah, IBC. But, oh, I think I think Frank keeps his job. I think because you, you, possibly yeah. he he gives them good live TV, and clearly people are watching that stuff because it's this whole. I think that's where the the cynicism comes in, and it's the same cynicism that has. You know, at the end of Ghostbusters 2, everybody singing. Same problem. Everybody's singing along because New Yorkers love to sing song um, and everything's <laughs> going to be better. Uh, but, you know, there are sing along in Ghostbusters? Uh, Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters yeah. 2, yeah. Whenever the Statue of Liberty's come along, it's prompted by the good energy of the New Yorkers singing. Yeah. Uh, it is Christmas and New Year. So, I mean, this is sort of vaguely allowed. I mean, this is what happens this time of year. Is it? Really? <laughs> <clears throat> but it's 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 it it is a very very um where's I going? <laughs> Sorry. So all, all this is going on. I mean, he he is basically generating what is it's relatively cheap TV. 
Um, but it has given them a weird sort of redemption because you know it's going to be on the front page of every newspaper the next day and they are going to talk about it. And at the end of the day, that's what he wanted to do was to create television that people were going to talk about. So then sure, um, Mr. Alive Boss Man, um, yeah. sure, he was like, he's going to lose his job tomorrow. And then his wife talks to him around, oh, just let him be, you know. Yeah. It's fine. Look, look. Well, he's, he's pleased because, you know. And then he starts he, singing along at the end. So yeah. I think Frank's keeping his job. Yeah, all right. You're probably fair, but Elliot's definitely going to prison. I, I think mm. it'd be hard pressed not to do, not to at least have to go out on bail. I mean, I don't know. They, they may be able to bluff their way through and say it was all a um, massive TV prank, you know, because he doesn't kill anyone and the guns he are all fired within yeah, the comms. That's like, the best that can be said. Is he doesn't oh, come on. He would get put away for someone. attempted murder. It depends yeah. on whether or not somebody actually within that building presses charges or whether or not they use the line that actually this was just all tv it's make-believe mm. because the line is very definitely blurred there's a very definite fictionalized thing that's happening and then there's all that and i don't know it's just just weird and then i think ali is going to prison but then all this trauma prompts the little child the the, the you know it's <laughs> like hi why? I mean, well, I suppose that's the thing. It's like you know, he he stops talking because he sees his father shot, and then he has to see somebody else wielding a, a shotgun and threatening anyone to actually be prepared to speak, and he's happy about it. I mean, yeah. it's insane. I mean, literally, holes. it's insane. But 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 yes yes, <laughs> but also um, he 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 witnesses um, Bill Murray just go on this this, and I. I get why people don't like his diatribe at the end. I get it, mm. but it it feels so heartfelt, and it does feel unhinged. It feels appropriately unhinged to me, but it is so very heartfelt. And you know, it's part of the magic of Christmas. I I don't care. I, I disagree. It's just it's nice. It just like feels it. too long. I mean, I'm okay with it, but I think it could probably do about two minutes shorter. Like it could have stopped whenever them two had a snog, and then he kept going. He did keep going after that, yeah. You know, um, yeah. And for a guy that's, you know, why didn't he shout out his his message's uh, shelter? Like everyone, go donate to this place. <laughs> he had the perfect opportunity. Yeah. You know, uh... get them fuses and, and and turkeys, but nope, he didn't. No. Perfect opportunity, gone. No. Yeah. Um. In in summary, though, I mean, I. I we, we, I mean, I think this is a fairly honest uh, appraisal of the film is that there's a lot that, that you know, should be questioned. Um, if you just watch it for what it is and don't ask any questions. Exactly. Then it's lovely. Yes. And then sing along at the end. Uh, no, I hate the sing. I still hate <laughs> it. Um, it's an okay movie. But I think when you start picking holes in the whole thing, um, and now I, because I've been doing these... Uh, <laughs> Cinepunk podcast for a while. <laughs> I start to pick holes in every movie I watch. Cinepunk's ruining films for you <laughs> since 2015. Yeah. Yes. The best <laughs> thing about being a film theorist. Let I'm, me I'm... ruin film for you. <laughs> well, I mean, Rachel, last words on this. <laughs> I love the film. I hate that you guys made me evaluate it critically because I don't want to do that. I want to just love it unapologetically. <laughs> that's, that's fine. You can go back loving it, but. <laughs> What I mean, I I still have a lot of love for the film. Um, I I'm I'm not gonna fall out with it because it's I mean, as, as you said, it's so wonderfully dark. Um, it's deeply cynical. Um, I think actually the the fact that there's an element of of deteriorating mental health underneath it all, maybe it's played in the wrong way, but actually it prompts conversations and thought processes which I think are quite useful. We didn't even get into talking about Danny Elfman's score and some of those wonderful special effects that are in this, which also attract me to. I mean, deaths like caged human beings tortured in hell of his chest is just like one of my favorite images um and i like it when they're actually i mean even they're singing and dancing by the end of the film because they're so into it it's uh maybe that is ben's idea of hell i don't know <laughs> um but yeah i mean like for me this has been an interesting conversation this has not gone the way that i thought it would um they never do, Robert. They never do. once or twice but i mean like I, I, it hasn't made me not love the film. It hasn't mean doesn't mean I won't bring it out and watch it with someone else again. I mean, I happily will. It's it's a, it's a great film. Just bring the DVD home with you whenever you. <laughs> I'll bring it on a memory stick and it's stream it from future. You know, it's easier. <laughs> um, so look, uh, that that is us on on Scrooge, uh, folks at home. 
uh, wherever you are, whatever your media is. Uh, let us know what you think. I mean, have we been unfair, discouraged? Uh, do you have other thoughts on it? You know how to get in touch with us. We're on our website, uh, cinepunked.com. You can also get us on Twitter at cinepunked. Uh, we're on Instagram at cinepunkfilm. And uh, don't forget, if you like the podcast, to like, subscribe, share it, tell your friends, all the usual stuff. Um, from from now, I mean, thank you very much, Ben, for for giving up your time to watch another film that you you seem to have had a difficult relationship with tonight. Um, yeah, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I no, like I I don't mind the movie. It's just yeah. whenever whenever I sit and think about it critically, there's a problem. There's a problem. Um, Rachel, thank you much. It's been lovely to have you back, Alice. It's been great being back. Welcome back, Rachel. <laughs> we'll you. find something else to ruin for you for a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, for me, Robert Timms as well, thank you very much, everyone, for, for joining us. And uh, we will see you again very soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. wasted 20 years of my life on pathetic little creatures like those. Finally, thank God, a friend of mine said to me, scrape them off, Claire. You want to save somebody. Save yourself.